Good morning, First Church. Uh, why don't we go ahead and stand? I'm glad y'all could be here today and everybody watching online. Um, anybody who's visiting, we're so glad you could be here. Um, we're going to go ahead and get into worship, and uh, we'll just start with some prayer real quick. Um, Jesus, we love you, and we praise you. We welcome you into um, just into our minds and our thoughts. We pray that you would um, just speak in this time, that you would be glorified, um, that everybody would know your love and your peace and your joy. Um, and that we would just praise you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
start before the beginning of time with no point of reference you spoke to the dark fleshed out the wonder of life and as you So will I. 
Um, Father, thank you that you never leave us behind. Thank you that you are the creator, you are ruler. All things on this earth, all things living and breathing and not, will worship you for all of eternity. God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning, um, speak to Bob, speak through Bob, um, that we would just hear what you have to say to us and that you would be glorified in all things, in Jesus' name. Um, thank you. We can be seated, and we're going to take a minute to re reset the stage, and we'll be right back.
Okay, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to continue worshiping. We're going to spend a little time in the Word here. Before we do that, I want to mention something that's coming up next week. Next Sunday in the evening from 6 to 7, we're going to be having another uh, prayer time. And what we have is we'll have a, a, about 12 slides, and a slide will come up, and the room will be, you know, just, just like it is. We'll just have all the chairs set up, and people can come in when they, when they can come. And the slides will be up, and you pray for that specifically uh, what that slide says for two minutes and then another slide rotates so that if you come uh, you can know all 12 slides that's 24 minutes not quite half an hour if you can only come for less that's fine but uh, we just want you to know that will be open we'll we will we can space and uh, and then just spend some time in prayer praying for our country praying for our church just a number of different things that that will be on those slides as prayer requests for us to do. We did that once before, and, um, and I loved it. I, I personally, it was, it was just a great time of prayer. And so I would encourage you uh, to uh, put, that, put that down, something you can come to next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. And it'll run from 6 to 7 as we pray for just quite a number of things. And 12 slides, two minutes each, will be, uh, it, it goes well, and I, I really enjoyed it. All right, we have been um, studying the book of Hosea. And um, we've been talking about a number of things. Uh, one of the things that I loved about, love about the book of Hosea that keeps coming up over and over and over is this sense that God is going to redeem his people. God is going to come back and rescue his people. God is going, and we, we saw it in the very first chapter. And almost every chapter as we've gone through, we're up through chapter 7, in every chapter there's some sort of a, of a, of a, of a, not a warning, but some sort of an encouragement that God is going to do something. Um, we see it that he says, Your child, the child who is not my child will become my child. The people who are not my people will become my people. And then he just keeps moving through that whole time. And we get to um, around chapter 5 or 6 where we see the beginning, another one of those three-day stories, which all point towards Jesus and the resurrection on the third day. It says in Hosea, on the third day, he will revive us. And the word there means to give new life. We will be brought back to life on the third day. And so we see that over and over and over in, in the book of Hosea that God is our redeemer. We have this redeemer God. And uh, that got me thinking so that we are going to uh, today... We're going to go on a rabbit trail. We're going to go on another one of my rabbit trails. And, and the reason is because, because I got thinking about how God is a redeemer and how we see that in Hosea, but we see that in the whole Bible. Now, we especially see it in the New Testament. That's what we tend to be more, more familiar with. But I want to go all the way back to Genesis and start talking about how God starts setting this up from the very beginning. And if this is something you'd be interested in, I, I want you to know that on our website, Bill Cumbie is teaching through the book of Genesis with some brilliant, brilliant ideas and uh, some, some great stuff there. Um, I was thinking about God. One of the things that got me thinking about this, uh, and this is just so silly, but the other day I saw a video, you know, sometimes you can see these things where some people had, were throwing out a piano in New York City and a guy rides by on a motorcycle and he does a U-turn and comes back and he comes walking over and it's Billy Joel. And he goes, what are you doing? And they said, well, this piano's old. We're throwing it away. We're pushing to the curb. The trash can come get it. And he goes, well, let me see. And he gets up and starts playing. And he plays like this ragtime that's really fast and, and just be boppy. And, and, uh, 
And he tells him, he says, this piano is fine. Just somebody needs to fix it up. You know, somebody needs to, it, it can still make beautiful music. And that is not a great equivalency to what God does for us. But I, it, it got me thinking about that, that God takes broken, worthless people and he makes incredible music out of them. He does great things with them. That's what God loves to do. Now, that's an interesting thing. That's what God loves to do. My, my wife, sometimes more than I like, sometimes wants to rescue furniture from the side of the road, right? I don't know if any of you have people who are like that, but we're driving in our car and here's this armoire and it's, we, the car we're in is, is a Nissan Cube, which is a very small box, basically. And she goes, you think that would fit in this car? And I'm like, are you kidding me? You'll have trouble getting that in the back of a pickup truck. It's at our house now. Um, the, by hook or by crook, we got home. She rescues things from the side of the road, and then she wants to make them new. She wants to fix them up. She wants to re, re, redo them so that they're, they're beautiful again. And this, these kind of things remind me, this is what our God loves to do. He likes to make things new. He likes to revive. That is, bring new life, bring deliverance into the lives of people who need to be delivered. He loves to do that. That's what he loves. And we find ourselves sometimes thinking about this because this speaks to the human heart and what a mess we've made of things. And sometimes thinking to ourselves, is anybody going to come and set stuff right? Because it costs, it costs to do that. It's never free. And we find ourselves many times in a place where life has not turned out the way we thought it would turn out. It's a mess. And we find ourselves sometimes thinking, I don't know how to fix it. Will someone come and fix? Will someone pay the price that is going to be required? And I find for us, for myself, because when we begin to understand our God and the God that he is, what's his heart? Uh, what's his character? It will change our lives. It would change what I say. It would change how I worry or do I worry. It would change how I live. As I get to understand and know God better, it changes us. It changes me. And so in the book of Genesis, what we're going to look at is how God is constantly and consistently chasing and redeeming his children. He reveals himself more and more in this pattern of us always screwing up. We keep running, we keep ruining things, and God keeps changing, taking our ruined lives and making this into this beautiful tapestry that he's making. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, I think a lot of people misunderstand this. Um, the idea of this story is not that if the man eats from the tree, he's going to gain moral discernment because to, to know right from wrong. Because moral discernment is a, is a good thing. You know, it's not like God was hiding that. The idea here in this story is the man is saying, if I eat of this tree, I can now decide what good and evil is quite apart from God. I don't need to worry about making my life fit in with what he says, how life is supposed to work. I can be my own God. And that's what's really at stake here is that eating of the tree is saying, I can be my own God. And God here is graciously allowing 
mankind to choose? Do you want to live in community with me? Do you, do you want me to be your God or do you want to be your own God? And then we have the tempter who comes embodied or symbolized by the serpent who comes to the woman. And when that, uh, when that commandment is first given that we read in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, only Adam is there. The tempter goes to the woman, so she has to get the info from him. Okay, just a little question here for women. Do any of you know a man who has struggled with this type of thing, who in a situation they don't, aren't able to fully give detail, detailed accounts of their conversations during the course of the day? It's like a communications glitch that happens. I struggle with that. You know, I struggle with that. Sometimes my wife will ask me, well, what did you do today? And I was like, oh, I studied and I did some emails and I read. And she's really interested in, in how my day went. And I'm thinking, well, three short sentences, that wraps it up, right? That's just the way it is. Um, just recently, I don't know if you, just recently, there, there's an American songwriter and, and singer, John Prine. He's probably one of the greatest song, American songwriters who have ever lived. And he wrote a song called Angel from Montgomery. And one of the lines, and it's written from, it's very interesting because he, he, it's written from a woman's viewpoint of how her life is going. And one, there's a line in there that makes me think of this. It says, how can a person go to work in the morning and come home in the evening and have nothing to say? You know, that's, that's, I think, where something broke down here with Adam and Eve. And the serpent goes after the one who is not directly present to hear what God has said and has this long conversation. And I think Adam was there during that conversation. I don't think he was not in. He was there. And so what does he do? He plants, he plants doubts in her mind and his mind that God can be trusted he said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, did God say you can't eat from any tree? No, it was just one tree. And so we have this misquote that Satan uses where he twists the truth just a little bit so that they're tempted to think, I cannot trust God. I can't trust God that he has my best interest in heart. And the same temptation works today for us. Can I trust God that he has my best interests at heart? Or am I going to have to look out for my own self? Is it safe for me to abandon my well-being to God? Or do I need to take care of it? And we have, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And this is the way temptation works. This is the way it works in our lives. There is a value. There's something that I believe, and I'm tempted. I'm tempted to violate what I believe for something that I think is so important for me. And this temptation looked good to them, you know. And then we do it, and then guilt and shame comes. And, and every one of us has experienced this to some degree in our own lives. You see something. It looks so good. You want it. You finagle to get it. You rationalize to get it. And then you get it. And suddenly the sweetness is bitter because you go, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. I didn't, I didn't need this. I didn't really want this. Why have I done this? And then becomes the guilt and the shame and the hatefulness, hating your own self. I think so many times for me in dealing with people, I find so many people hate themselves. I hate myself that I'm this way. And that's what happens when we give in. And this happens to them. And something very powerful happens to the human race. It's an important word. It's a word that we need to understand. It's a word that people don't like to talk about very much 
but it's a word that redemption is founded on, and the word is depravity. It's a word we use to describe the brokenness of the human heart. Like glass is predisposed to shatter. Like nitroglycerin is predisposed to explode. I am predisposed to do something wrong apart from Jesus Christ. And when I think that it's necessary for me to get what I want or to avoid something, I will do whatever it takes. I will lie. I will gossip. I will cheat. I will slander. I will lust. I will covet. I will hate. And this is in me. It's called depravity, the Bible tells us. And so what's going on in Genesis? God creates everything perfect. He makes human being in his own image. And they decide they'd rather be their own God. They decide that their way is better than God's way. And they would rather strike out, on, strike out in their own way and do their own, own thing. And then their eyes are opened and we have the fall and we have alienation that's introduced into the human race. And then we see this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam, where are you? And Adam, we know he says, I heard you, but I was afraid. Um, Oh, wait, he answered, I heard you from the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? You see, God's God's, uh, saying, where are you? It's not like God doesn't know where they are. God's not confused here. He doesn't lack information. He's making Adam interact with him. He's inviting him, come clean. Let's get this over with now. Come clean. And Adam says, I heard you, but I was afraid. And so Adam, God tells him, who told you this? So now Adam has a choice. And he decides, right, to take personal responsibility for his actions. So he sums up his courage and he says, the man... The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. He immediately starts blaming. So we have now, all of a sudden, what's happened? Sin has been introduced and then fear has been introduced and now blame has been introduced. God said, did you eat from that tree? And Adam goes, she made me do it, right? Whose idea was this woman anyways, God? Adam starts to pass the buck. It's the woman you gave me. It's so interesting he says that. It's the woman that you gave me. So what has Adam done? He said, God, it's your fault. It's your fault that I've sinned. And he starts blaming God. And now blaming is in human history. Do you think that'll be the last couple to ever blame each other? Nope. Nope. I saw this magnet that you could put on your refrigerator. And I thought about getting it, but I decided not to. It says, I didn't say it was your fault. I said I was going to blame you. <laughs> and I thought this would be good. And then I realized, no, that would be bad, actually. That would be very bad to put that on my refrigerator. And, and, uh, and, and because it's entered in now. Sin has entered. Fear has entered. Shame has entered. Blame has entered. All those things that we can struggle with now. All the times where we can feel afraid and feel pushed to move to some place where we didn't want to be out of fear. All those times where, where we feel the guilt and the shame of something we've done and we just wallow in it. We try to beat ourselves up over it. 
and the blaming that we can so easily do in other people's lives as we look at other people and say, it must be their fault. This is why I'm this way. It's their fault. And I, I'm the first to agree that people who have been in your life, parents who have raised you, all those different, those can impact you. But at some point, we can't just blame everybody who's, who's impacted us. We have to take, uh, take, take the blame ourselves and deal with it. And so, for their own good, they have to leave Eden, and God makes them a promise. He says in Genesis 3, 15, he says, look, there's going to come an offspring. There's going to be a child. There's going to be a man, a son of Adam and Eve. And he says, the serpent will strike at his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. What is he saying? Redemption's coming. I'm going to redeem you from this. It's coming. He's already said it's, it's starting to come. Temptation, guilt, and death are going to meet their match one day. They won't get the last word. And that day came, and it comes in Jesus. And that's the first prophetic, really prophetic uh, word, looking forward to Jesus. And then as you go through the Old Testament, you just see it over and over and over and over. Job said, I know my Redeemer is coming. He says, I know I have a Redeemer. I know I have a Redeemer. He's looking to Jesus. We see it in Hosea, where it talks about how they, they, will, they will find the new, in a sense, the new David is going to come and be king. That's looking to Jesus. Um, this past week, um, I haven't done one in a while, so Jose's been reminding me, and we, we, I finally got to it, and we did another one of, uh, you can catch it online, it's called Not a, Not a Message, Just a Thought. And this past week, we, we dealt with um, talking about Shiloh, and in the Old Testament, what did Shiloh mean? And it pointed, it pointed to Jesus and uh, ta- is, it's very interesting because what it does is through, through the writings uh, of the rabbis in the Jerusalem Talmud, they identify when they think the, the Messiah was going to come. And it was about 30 AD when, when the, the Messiah, the new Shiloh, Shiloh would show up and assume the scepter, the, the staff of authority that uh, was predicted all the way back in Genesis 49. And so we see this all throughout Scripture, that these things are coming, these things are, that Jesus is coming, and it's pointing, it's pointing that way. And so we see, what does God do? He says, the Lord God had made garments of skin for Adam and, and his wife, and he clothed them. This is, a, this is a, interesting to me. It's a very tender little detail in this story. God himself made them clothes. He didn't say, well, you guys now... You're ashamed. You're naked. You're ashamed. Go put some, get, make some clothes. But he did it. I mean, you talk about designer labels. I, that's something I'd keep. And so for the first time in history, blood is shed. Blood is shed so that their shame can be covered, so that their fellowship with God can be redeemed. Because redemption comes at a cost. It always comes at a cost. And what is God doing? He's setting the stage. And I think about this, I wonder if Adam and Eve, after they left Eden, they started thinking, wow, is God going to continue his plan or is he going to start over? Or he was saying something about filling the earth and having dominion. Is he going to just say, nope, that's not happening. The two of you are just going to die and that'll be the end of it. But what happens? One day something happens to Eve. She starts feeling a little nauseous. She starts getting a little moody. She starts having these strange cravings for things. And this has never happened before. I mean, I don't, this is probably me, but I can imagine Adam going, Eve, you're, you're putting on a little weight. What's going on? I'm going to have to go kill a much larger animal now for this, your, your next dress. What, what, 
And it says, Eve became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And so Cain is born to show them that this is going to continue. God hasn't given up. And for Adam and Eve, every time they looked at Cain, they were reminded of that as he was growing. And then they had their son Abel. And now you know that whole story and how that didn't work out, how that, that sin entered into that whole relationship. What I love in that whole thing is that God goes to Cain. He says, Cain, don't do this. Don't do this. Sin is crouching at the door and it wants to devour you. Don't do this. You ever have someone that you love, that you really care about, and you can see what they're doing is not going to end well. And you want to intervene and you say, please don't do this. This is not going to end well for you. And maybe they ignore you. Maybe they just blow it off. And your heart breaks because of that. This is what happened with God. He speaks. And he tells him, don't do this. I was thinking the other day, trying to think how God felt. He had created this world. He created Adam and Eve. They disobeyed. It's so heartbreaking. And all the stuff that came with it. And all the how now God understood that, you know, I mean, I mean, he's God, so it's kind of hard to somebody who knows everything. But he's going to have to work out this plan of redemption. And now the first step of the plan is bringing along this, this young man named Cain and his brother named Abel. And God goes, oh, no, don't do this. Because at the beginning, God spoke and it happened. God spoke and it was good. And now it's all falling apart. If you ever feel like your family's falling apart, Do you understand that God knows exactly how that feels? God knows exactly how that feels. And there's someone maybe that you want to talk to them and say, don't do this. Not because I'm smarter than you. Not not because I'm just necessarily more experienced than you. I just see there's nothing good that's going to come out of it. And they just won't listen to you. It might be somebody you're sitting next to right now. Don't punch them. Don't do any of that. But this is what God is doing. This is what God feels. And now... Murder has entered into the, into the world. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And God put a mark on him. And the mark was to show people that murder is wrong. And it just keeps going. And here we go. Genesis 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. And God saw that it was ruined. What a poignant verse. God said, what I made is ruined. It's ruined. And he saw it. He was speaking and it was so, and he was speaking and it was so, and now he steps back and he looks and he goes, it's ruined. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine. Everything he saw was good up to this, and now suddenly it's ruined. That happens to us, doesn't it? Me and somebody we love, they mess up and it breaks your heart. God feels that for every single human being. And so we know as Genesis continues, God sends a flood. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a sign. There's going to be a covenant. I'm not giving up. I'm going to redeem the covenant of the rainbow. 
And then we get to Genesis 11. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so now we have what people call the Tower of Babel, right? And it's really more of a ziggurat. It probably was more like a pyramid with a long ramp that came up to the top. And the belief back then was that if you made your ziggurat high enough and the ramp got up high enough, you would be up with God. You would be equal with God because you ascended to him. And and if you remember, uh, this has been a while, we did a a study on the life of Jacob and what happened. Jacob saw a ladder. It's translated ladder. It was not a ladder. It's It's a causeway. It's a ziggurat. It's the same thing. He saw that. But what happened in that, God actually at the end, God came down because man can't ascend to God. God came down to man. And so here we are. What are they doing? They're building this ziggurat. They're building this this ramp, this causeway to get to the top, to be equal with God. Look what we've achieved. We've made, and it says, we've made a name for ourselves. We've made a name for ourselves. We're equal with God. He can't tell us what to do. And so what, what happens? God had told them, I want you to take dominion of the earth. I want you to to, to spread out all over the whole earth. They said, no, we're staying together because that's where we're the strongest. We see it ourselves. It's all about me. It's all about my life. I will not bend a knee to God. We will be like him. And it's kind of a remarkable. It's amazing when you think that once there was a place on earth where people allow, were, were so confident in their human intelligence and their technology that it made them feel arrogant and superior and greater than God. It's just crazy. People were that way then. And then the Lord comes down and sees it. He sees the, the, what, what's going on, and he says, I'm going to make them spread out. And he does that. And so we have this verses, chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis is like this prologue of human history to bring us up to speed. And throughout the prologue of human history, what do we see? God is continually working to redeem his people. He's continually saying, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on you, which is just, just what we, saw, we see in the book of Hosea. Over and over and over, God says, I'm not giving up on Israel. He tells Hosea, go buy that wife of yours who's now a slave and a prostitute. Go buy, bring her back. Don't give up on her. And I can imagine Hosea going, really? And God's going, because it shows me I won't give up on on my people. I won't give up on my people. And so Hosea does it, and God does it, and we see it all throughout the book of Hosea. This redemption, this God who redeems. And we see a pattern throughout it. God does something redemptive. And he rescues people, and then they fall back into their patterns of sin. And God does something else. And you get to chapter 11, and then what happens? God says, okay, I'm going to use this man named Abraham, and I'm going to change the world because of him. And you think about that. That one man, his small family became a nation. And that nation, out of that nation came Jesus Christ. From all the way from Abraham, the world has been changed greater than any person has ever changed it. The world has been totally changed. And in chapter 12, he says, there's going to be this new nation. My dream is not dead. I will redeem the human race. 
Job says, I know my Redeemer lives. Because we need a Redeemer. If you're not a Christian, you need a Redeemer. If you are a Christian, you need, we sang, I want to know him more and more. Paul said that in Philippians. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. We love that power stuff. And then he says, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know Jesus. We need that Redeemer now. As Christians, we need him. Because I don't need a little more intelligence. I don't need a little more cleverness. I don't need a little more strength. And I don't need a little more uh, uh, education. I need a Redeemer. Because I'm like Adam and Eve. I'm like Cain and Abel. I'm like the Tower of Babel in my own life. And this promise of redemption, it comes from beyond me because it comes from God. It's for me. And the whole prologue in the book of Genesis to say, is to say that God doesn't give up on anybody. And I'm thrilled with that. Because I have loved ones that I don't want God to give up on. I have people that I know, that I care for, that I don't want God to give up on. And so I am trusting him that he is the God, just as he said from the beginning of Genesis, he's the God who doesn't give up on people. All the way to Jesus talking about this God who chases down the one, makes sure the 99 are safe, and then goes hunting for the one. He doesn't say, well, I still got 99. This is a 1% loss. My business can handle a 1% loss. God says, no, I don't want a 1% loss. I'll go after everybody. But the thing I realize, too, is there's a price that has to be paid with redemption. We understand that. And I was thinking about this. I remember years ago I talked about this a little bit, but I was, it, it made me think of it as kind of a loose association. But if you think about this, back in the 1960s, now I know there's some older folks that go here, and you're going to understand, you're going to figure this out pretty quick, but the largest single publication available in the U.S. in the 1960s it wasn't a book. It wasn't a magazine. It was a catalog. And uh, it was a catalog that dealt with stamps. And they were called S&H Green Stamps. And, and I can remember as a kid, my mom would collect these, uh, here they are, these little S&H Green Stamps. You'd lick and you put them in a little book. You save up enough books and, and you could get something. And, and, and S&H Green Stamps, I thought they were the coolest thing in the world because I would go with my mom like to the grocery store and she would buy groceries and, they, and they would, we would get all the groceries and then chee, 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 come out of this little machine. They'd dip it off and go, look, you got 15 S&H Green Stamps. And I'm like, we got those for free. That's the greatest thing in the world. And the catalog in the 60s, uh, each year, they printed enough catalogs to go around the world, book to book. I mean, it was the largest publication in the world at the time. And in the catalog, you could just flip through. I mean, it was like, it was like a dream for a kid. You just flip through, and there'd be, there'd be toys, and there'd be, there'd be games, and, and there'd be refrigerators, and there'd be toasters. I mean, there'd just be everything you could think of. Um, the other day, I went and sat down with my, uh, my grandson, and um, he said, Pops, I, I, wanna, I, got, I got a little catalog. I want to show you what I want for Christmas. And he just had one of these little flyers that was full of toys from somebody. And uh, I said, okay, that sounds great. I said, you, you, you know Christmas is a long ways away, right? And he goes, I'm planning. 
I'm playing it. I said, okay, fine. You just, you just keep playing it. So, so we sat down. And so he opens the first page. He had like three things. He said, I want that. I want that. I want that. And then we went to the next page and he had like three more things. And then we went to the next page. And all of a sudden I realized he circled more than half of everything that was in this thing because he's just hoping at least one of them I'll go, oh, I'll do it. You know, that kind of a thing. So he closes it and he says, what do you think? And I said, well, you got a great list there, buddy. That, that looks great. He goes, yeah, but what are you going to get? I'm like, oh, he's trying to close the deal on me right now, right? I feel like I'm with the car salesman or something. Oh, I sh- okay, sorry. I shouldn't say that. If you're a car salesman, I'm sorry. Um, he's trying to close the deal on me. And I said, Caleb, I'm not telling you now. I said, that would ruin the surprise. What if I told you? And he was like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you ruining the surprise. I said, nope, not going to do that. So SNA's grease stamps, I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And what would happen is you collect these stamps, you put them in books, and then you could mail them or you could go to a redemption center. There were SNA's green stamps, and they would say redemption center. And you could go in there, and it would be like a store, but everything costs stamps. You know, SNA is still around. They don't give out stamps anymore. It's all done online. But you could, you could, you can still do it. And you'd go to a redemption center, center, and they would have all these wonderful things. And I started thinking about that. You know, there was this giant catalog, and and I read there was there was one elementary school in uh, in Pennsylvania that for their local zoo they saved them up enough. They saved enough green stamps to buy two gorillas for their local zoo. So you could buy anything with green stamps, and and, and this this huge, like a Sears Roebuck catalog thing. It was, but it was all SNH green stamps. And, and I, I was thinking about this because that was like the greatest thing in the world for me. What's God's SNH green stamp book look like? It just has a picture of you in it. That's it. And he just says, I want you. I want you. Why? For he It says in Colossians, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We, God went to the redemption center and he paid the price for you and for me. And God's saying, you're worth it to me. You're worth it to me. The price of this redemption was my son. And in some crazy way, I'm worth it to him. I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine if somebody came to me and said, hey, we got this guy in prison. He's got the death penalty. But, you know, if somebody could just take his place, do you think you'd let one of you, can, could, we, could we use one of your sons for this? I'd be like, wait, this guy's in prison death penalty. He deserves it? Or is this? No, no, he admitted he did it. No, I'm not gonna let my son die for that for that guy. That's crazy. And God says, that's what I did. Because I want to redeem you. I want to get rid of that old guilt that you're dealing with and give you forgiveness. I want to change your life, give you a redeemed life. I want to trade your regret for hope in your life. I want to trade the despair in your life for faith that looks for something greater. I want to trade the inadequacy in your life for a power that God gives. When Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, God says we can access that power even to this day. Because there was a redeemer who paid a price. And he did it for us. And he did it for you. 
So we see something here. We see in the book of Hosea, in the midst of a book that's very difficult with God's, uh, God's anger, his, his broken heart that's showing in his anger toward the children of Israel. And yet, and each time he says, but I'm going to love you anyways. I'm going to redeem you anyways. There's a day coming. Is this will all change. He, these messages of hope throughout this book, we see it throughout the whole Old Testament, and we see the culmination in the four Gospels. And then we see the reverberation in the book of Acts and the epistles now. And we're a part of it. We're a part of, you know, throw that rock in a pond and the, and the ripples go out. We are now the ripples of Jesus Christ dying on a cross for our sins and being raised from the dead. We are now the ripples going out and touching. And those, if you've ever done that, you know, you know how it works. The ripples go out to every part of the pond or lake or whatever you throw the rock in. They just go and go and go to all these places that have had no ripple yet. And we're a part of that. We have the privilege of being this revolution that is overwhelming the world. God says, because I redeemed you. This is my purpose for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. When we look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, over and over and over, the most common thing we see is that you redeem people. You express your love and you continue your promises that you made from the beginning. And so, Lord, we trust you for that. We hold you to that, Lord. We, we, we look at your promises and we hold on to them. And we thank you, Father, that you are the God who is the promise keeper. You have redeemed us and now you have set into place promises. You have given us the down payment, the earnest money of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of a future, um, of a, a place where we will be for eternity. And Lord, we, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. And Father, now, as we leave this place, as we leave this church, or as we leave our homes, wherever we may go, help us to be people who are on the, we're part of the ripple, full of grace, full of forgiveness, to reach and touch other people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Don't forget, next Sunday night, uh, we're having a prayer time here. You can come in from 6 to 7 as long as you can come in for. Just come in and spend some time praying. And uh, we will, we will uh, ask God to be working in our lives and the lives of those around us. Thanks for coming. God bless you. And you are dismissed. <laughs>